You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network, sponsored by Audix. I wish I could break free back to where I'm supposed to be. I wish I could break free back to where I'm supposed to be. Welcome back to the Signal to Noise podcast on Pro Sound Web. I'm Michael. As always, I'm joined by my boys, Chris and Kyle. What's going on, fellas? What's up? Howdy. Hanging out. <laughs> Good, man. And you know what? This is going to be a pretty special episode tonight. I'm pretty excited for it. Um, we actually have three Chris's in the house tonight. Um, so so for those of you... Death match. Death match. <laughs> it's going to get ugly, fellas. Um, so uh, for those of you who listened to our recent interview with Chris Raybold, he said, yeah, man, Chris Mitchell, he's up to so much cool stuff, and I would just love to talk to that guy. So we, we made it happen. And so with us tonight is both Mr. Chris Raybold and Mr. Chris Mitchell. Chris's, thank you for being here. Yeah, right, right on, on, man. <laughs> So this is uh, so Chris Rabel. You've been doing a series of videos with Pooch on YouTube that I, I've just been digging them, man. And you know because I've been emailing you about them. Um, you guys are just discussing your workflow and what you do differently and what you have in common. And it's just super, super cool to kind of work through your guys' processes in that way. And so, so I, I would love for you to kind of jump into that with Chris Mitchell because you guys are you have like totally different approaches, and you guys both turn out awesome mixes. So I, you know, I think there's a, there's a really great dialogue to be had here. Yeah, man. Well, um, thanks. I'm glad you're digging those. We're having fun. We're having legitimate fun doing them. Uh, and it's kind of like this, like Chris, I don't know, Chris Mitchell, I don't know exactly where we're going to go with this, bro, but we'll figure it out. And that's kind of the way <laughs> that Poots, like, I don't know what he's going to talk about until we start recording. And then we just, we go for it. But um, Sounds like my live shows. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Just kind of hang on and see what happens. I, um... I don't, it's funny, I think part of the reason that Chris, that I had, you know, I've followed you and your work for a while is I've, part of what intrigues me about it is not so much that I think you and I have different ways or definitely not opposing ways of going about it, but I've seen guys over the years talk about their lack of EQ that they use. And it's definitely like a thing. Like if somebody's into that, that's their thing. But I've seen it done in ways where they're often using colored microphones, as most microphones are. And I've thought to myself, and they'll also be using super directional microphones, and I'm, I'm like, you know what? You, you are coloring the sound by the nature of the microphone you're using. And then, having kind of gotten wind of what you're doing, I thought to myself, now, I think he's doing it right. Because as far as I understand it, you're using flat response microphones and by and large, mainly earthworks, right? Correct, correct. Um, yeah, and, and that they have such a lack of coloration. And also, for, I don't know how they, even being directional, somehow the uh, proximity effect doesn't seem to be as pronounced on those. So it's more out of fascination. Like, if anything, I, I kind of have a sneaking suspicion I really like the way you're doing it because I've often sort of kind of been skeptic when I've heard other people saying, oh, I'm not using any EQ at all. So am I at all spot on in my assumption that this is how you're getting away with it and having success? Because uh, I know you are. Well, to, to start with, uh, thank you. Um, a, to get recognized by you know, someone of your caliber is great. And to actually sit down and have a chat is, is, is even better. I'm kind of shaking a little bit. 
Um, oh, dude, whatever, man. This is great for both of us. <laughs> Just a little bit. Uh, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> uh, but seriously, uh, thank you for the kind words. Um, it, it's great when you have uh, you know, somebody on an arena tour compliment somebody on a theater tour. Uh, it's, it's been a whole lot of hard work to get to this point, which, of course, everybody listening to this knows you know, the amount of work necessary to, to make a good mix. But to, to cover your point a little bit better... Uh, I do use a bunch of earthworks, um, not exclusively because not everything I try to put in the mix sounds exactly the way I want it to. Um, so I do use some mics that uh, impose color, uh, but when I do that, it's because what I'm wanting to do with that source, I think, requires it for where I want it to put in the mix. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the biggest examples is... Uh, on the drum kit, I have a bunch of earthwork stuff, but I also have Audix D6s on the floor toms, uh, mainly because you know, our, our floor toms sound good, but in a real world, they're a little wimpy mm-hmm. you know, as compared to you know, what most people think a floor tom should sound like. But trying it back and forth between an earthworks floor tom mic and a D6, the D6 just seemed more complimentary. Um, mm-hmm. But on the rest of the drum kit, yeah, it's Earthworks, it's high pass only, it's time aligned things so that what they're picking up um, from you know, off axis sources are in phase as much as possible, at least in the, the 6 dB window before it starts fading into reverb. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a lot of that stuff is um, do I think the sound coming off of it would carry into the mix without being affected or do I want to do something to it if I do want to do something to it can I take care of it in the transducer before it becomes an electronic signal and I have timing and phase and mixing with other things to worry about so I I, I take a a clear and clean as approach as I can but being a realist sometimes you need to color things to, to fit in the mix interesting Interesting. Um, what? Else? Yeah, I could see the D sixes on the floors. I mean, that's a that's a super colored microphone. That's the smiley face right there. So I could see oh, how that absolutely. would absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I liked. I liked that. That's that's. I've never thought to use them on floor toms. That's a cool microphone. Um, what do you use? Any other? Like, is it like I know on guitars I've seen where you use the Earthworks there as well, right? Correct. Um, both of our guitar players are amazing. Um, our lead guitar player, Jake, is one of those guys that he's a, a tone junkie. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll spend all day getting everything exactly right. He doesn't use any sort of digital cabinet emulation. He's a analog pedal to analog amp kind of guy, and his fingers do the hard work. So I, I don't have to do anything to his guitar amp at all, only make it louder. Mm-hmm. So what, what I do there is uh, there's uh, two guitar amps. Each one has an Earthworks SR25, and each has a Hughes and Kettner Redbox. So mm. I'm getting two very clean versions of his guitar signal. Um, I panned them about 120 degrees apart, but leaning towards the left, since he's on the stage right side of the stage, the other guitar player gets leaned the other way. Then by combining those two sources <clears throat> with a, a little delay for the delay, Excuse me, a little delay for the DI box. Um, right. It, it gives me a, a very nice two-channel mono version of the guitar that you know, it, it takes that Dave Rat approach where if you're going to put one in the left, one in the right, they should be different, but the same. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So 
that that's the guitar approach I'm taking. Um, no compression on the, the channel coming in, but a little bit of parallel compression going out. And, and try to get as much dynamic that's coming off the, uh, the cone and out of the, the back of the amplifier as I, I possibly can into the signal and let it speak for itself. Interesting. Wow, the red box, that's old school right there. Or modern oh, yeah, old I've school. Owned those, I've owned those <laughs> things for 15 years. Right. And how do you have them panned again? You say 120 degrees. So what does that look like? Like one's hard and one's... Uh, yeah, on a clock face, let's say uh, the microphone is at 8.30 and the DI is at 1.30. 8.30 and 1.30. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. They'll, and they'll we, combine you know, until we, about 10.30 or 11 o'clock, something like that. Right. And in fact, me and Pooch just did a thing and we were talking about that. And I was mentioning how that is a different sound, even if it's the same result and effect pan position wise in the stereo spectrum. And you know what? He was saying he does that too. He uses, but he uses a Palmer and then, uh, you know, a mic. Um, so, huh. Yep, I rather get the guitar players got Earthworks and Palmers. So I love the flavor of both of them. They're definitely two different flavor DI boxes. When I say yeah. flavor, you, I'm talking about the uh, the high pass and low pass of the the cabinet emulation mm-hmm. that they stick in there. Mm-hmm. But uh, I love them both. So my, um, that's so cool. Sorry, guys, we're kind of going off on our own. No, 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 that's S- totally cool. I was, I was curious. This is the show, man. This is the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, Chris, Chris Mitchell, you had mentioned uh, no compression on the in, but compression on the out. So, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, if you're doing, um, I, I want to know how much compression you are doing you know, since you're doing minimalist eq and then on top of that um what kind of bussing are you doing because a lot of people will do a lot of bussing so that they can eq things as a buzz or compress them as a buzz. so when you sit on the output is that is that because you're bussing the guitars together and then compressing there or, or what, what does that look like um on the pro x that i'm using i've got tons of buses so i've set up each guitar cabinet to have its own subgroup um i double bus the guitar signals so they go to the left, right, and to that group, the group gets compressed. Um, right now, it's like eight to one, ten to one, something like that. So that when they're playing loud, um, the gain reduction is fifteen dB, twenty dB. Uh, a a good amount of fast attack compression with slow release. So basically, I'm getting a an RMS version there of the guitar signal, and then I add that group fader back in so that I will bring up the, the RMS energy of the guitars to kind of match what the drums and bass have going on so I'm not VCA riding quite as much. I'm trying to reduce the dynamic range of the guitars from you know 30 dB down to 20 dB, maybe 15 dB sometimes. And I would rather bring it up as adding RMS than take it down by removing the peaks by using compression on the input channel that and that is the uh when people talk about uh parallel compression you know there are no rules and essentially it just means a duplicated bus and you're doing something with it but that what you're saying and as uh, as you clearly know that is the sort of textbook way that it was first employed was to d- just strictly to raise RMS and with fast attack and slower releases. And you don't see many people doing that anymore. It's kind of become this other aggressive bus that people have. Um, so that's interesting like, that like you're doing boost. it that way. Yeah, or just like another thing, you know, to where 
it's doing the opposite. A lot of times the way people are doing parallel compression, they're adding more peak level as opposed to adding that RMS. Gotcha, um, gotcha. Yeah. I, see, I see what you're talking about, Chris Rabel, in uh, church. Uh, that, that's, uh, that's where I see your, your second form uh -huh. of, of compression, the aggression compression, like you like yeah. to call it, um, is a lot of times it's done in church, kind of like to, to sit it at a certain level. Yeah. Um, it, I, I like the, the first approach because that's like the analog guy approach. Uh, like when you used to have like a PM 4k or, um, even uh, heritage or whatever, the subgroups were used to kind of even everything out before the VCAs right. and to, to give it more. So I, I'm wondering, um, do those subgroups give you, is it plus three or plus six through the subgroups? Um, talking about because of the summation between the different. Uh... Yeah, because the sum will give you uh, more through the subgroups and they don't give you uh, plus anything through the VCAs mm, or the DCAs. Mm. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, I only run my input channels on the DCAs. Um, the subgroups are set and forget. So they're kind of like a fixed percentage that they're contributing based on, uh, well, my guitar channels set at minus six all the time because I want my left and right version balanced. And then I mm -hmm. use my DCAs to control the level of the guitar. Mm -hmm. um, so instead of the DCA controlling the guitar channel and the subgroup fader, it's just the guitar channel. So the ratio of added RMS energy from the subgroup doesn't change unless I grab that fader. All right. So and if you're it was a unity, keep, yes, it could be six. And you're saying you keep those two faders at negative six, correct? The input channel faders, yes. The yeah, and that's subgroup that's fader important dances to, around. Right, and that's important to point out. There's a lot of people where they'll be trying to blend mics together. And they'll keep them both at Unity and unmute two, and you've essentially just added not quite, but let's just say right at six dB of level. And they're going, well, clearly that one's better. And it's like, no, it's not. And <laughs> and I'll do the same thing during the show. I know, like if I've got two guitar mics, sometimes I blend them, sometimes I don't. And I know that during the show, what that to do the fader swap. You know what I mean? So I'm not just kidding myself and thinking the louder one um, is the better one. Right. Yeah. Uh, so what so what's about your guitar approach? You, man, I do a lot of what you do for one thing. I'll do the deal where I've got one, let's say hard pan, one somewhere else in the spectrum to create this sort of smear. Um, but yet one that gives it specific positioning in the mix. I will sum the mics together. I will pan that on occasion. I will do some, I, I say I, I do it. I haven't done it with any success in years, but I used to do that all the time. Like when I used to do, like when I did widespread panic, we had the two guitar thing. That was my deal was all the, the Haas effect stuff all the while being mindful of what it's going to do when it collapses to mono. But, um, and I would do and see, here's like, I would use two different microphones that were fairly, different in tonality. So this is where I guess, you know, some of our approaches sort of do differ in that I would go for color versus color, you know, even if I had a great source. Um, and then that's what would be, that's what would sort of help make somewhat of a spread because as I've, you know, as we know, even if you're double micing a source, 
if you pan that, if you're double micing the same source, when you pan it, even if your microphones are different, if you pan it hard left and hard right, it doesn't create some huge stereo field. It creates it's more or less a mono, it creates a mono image that just has yep. slight variances within it. So um, that that's kind of the deal. I'll do one of those three things. Um, but, uh, but so like, what do you do? I'm curious, what do you do? Like I get how you can, let's say a guitar cabinet would be a great example of how you could pull off your approach with a lot of success. Just move it in closer to the dust cap or move it further off to achieve tonality. But what do you do like on drums where you just want more or do you just commit and you roll with it from there? Like, do you ever find yourself going, I wish that was brighter or I wish I had some air on it? I get to choose which snare he plays. Uh-huh. There you go. So right after sound check, we go through snare check, and it's two or three snares. I pick the one that sounds best in the room without EQ, and then you know, we'll go around, and he's like, okay, are the toms poppy enough? Are they ringing okay? Are they ringing too much? And wow. my gate is calling up my drummer and saying, hey, can you do this, this, and this? And he does. Mm-hmm. So, God, that is so rare. I hope you realize what you have with that. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I, 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 I can't imagine there's just about any. Like, well, I, actually, it's a good question, Mitchell. Do you know of any other engineer slash band who who has the relationship and or mixing style that you guys are able to, to pull off? I can think of a few. Um, it's hard to do once you reach a certain level or a certain experience of drummer. Because, you know, when they get to that point where they've done enough, they don't want to listen to what engineers have to say. Um, so I, I know a few young bands, they're like, okay, you can't fix crap. So make your drums sound good, then we'll mic them up. And then, you know, you'll see engineers at like festivals or whatever, and I'll, I'll try to share that with them. And every once in a while, um, like, for example, there's a band out of uh, New York City called Talk, T-A-U-K. Um, their front of house guy Devin, uh, his one of his first big tours was opening for us for about six weeks, and he ended up copying almost my whole mix, point for point. Um, <laughs> Earthworks mics, <laughs> no EQ, beat the drummer, you know all these things, so that you can get cooperation from your tonal sources, and they can cooperate with with the way you want to put the mix together. Mm -hmm. um, You're at least using high-pass filters, though, right? Yes, yes, absolutely, and, and okay. a few low-pass right. filters. Um, okay. But realizing that um, any filter is going to give you a phase change, uh, I try to go for the the lightest or the what's the word I'm looking for? The least slope possible on the, the mm -hmm. filters, and I don't want to put in um, a parametric because that really screws with phase. I'm a firm believer that we can hear phase as much as we can hear frequency. Um, it's just that our brains can't always recognize that phase is what is wrong. It's easy mm -hmm. for us to recognize when frequency is what is wrong. Mm -hmm. But when you get, you know, 48 channels and each of them have 15 degrees of phase slush each, and then you try to combine them all, you get a mix, but... Um, if the phase doesn't line up, the mix, you know, it may sound pushed, squeezed, um, harsh in the high end. You know, things that are hard to really fix. You know, you're chasing mm -hmm. yourself. 
but if you line it up so that entering the transducer, the mix is 90% there, it comes together a whole lot easier. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. I've had I'm, I'm really drummers. lucky to have this gig. Yeah, man. It sounds like it. I've had guys <laughs> I've had guys where I've been able to choose the heads, you know, where like I don't know what works best in the house, like those kind of guys, but it's few and far between and I'm I always have good relationships with my drummers, but that's that definitely sounds like kind of next level stuff you've got there. I get you know what, you just reminded me of something. You're talking about how phase can can really smear a mix and you're right. And that's in that sort of I mean, clearly you're right. It's not even opinion. It's, it's, it's fucking fact. Um, that's that whole like, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is kind of thing. And I've gotten to where I'll do things like, for instance, my snares. Like I've, you know, snare top, snare bottom, or maybe I'll use a third mic, this or that. I've gotten to where I only high pass at the group level. So that, because I noticed over the years, if I'm high passing, even sometimes, even if it's nailed at the right exact spot, you know, the high pass is 123 hertz on all three of them. Sometimes it can get weird. And, and, it, and as you know, I mean, so if you have a high pass on one and not on the other ones, a lot of times it'll just flat out flip it, you know? Yep. Um, so I'll take it to where I will do those. I'm only high passing. Same thing with guitars or anything that I'm grouping like that. If there's going to be high passes involved on all of them, I'm just doing it at one spot so it's the least phase disruptive. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. Um, yeah. That's, that's the way I've kind of... Yeah, right. <laughs> that's the way I've gotten around. The same thing you're saying, though. That's the way I've sort of started to get around that problem is I'm just like, eh, no, I'll just do it and. I'll just do it in one spot. And that seems to alleviate a lot of that headache or even or just going, what's wrong? I don't understand. Why do they sound odd? You know? You know what I love about this? There's sort of like an old school, like systems engineering approach. You know, and I've been to Chris's shows and I've stood in front of the stage with a PA off and heard what the acoustic drums sound like coming off the stage. And they sound great. And so, you know, the thing is, I mean, Mitchell, I can, I can imagine like, you know, you're either a system tech's like best friend or worst nightmare, right? Because, because you know what those drums sound like and you know that, you know, you know, what they sound like coming into your mics and going through your mix. And so when that comes out of the PA, it's not right. You know, you're going to be looking at, at the system tech because it, obviously it's the PA that's not right. You know what I mean? And, and, and so, and I've seen what, you know, what, what curves you put on guys' PAs that they hang for you. So I love this idea. I mean, it's really a, a back to the fundamental idea of, you know, sound reinforcement, like of us being in the role of transmission, you know, and making sure that everything in that chain is, is just doing its job to, to transmit the signal. And, you know, I got a call from, uh, Ryan John called me the other day and he, and he had his, his avid set up in, in his living room and he was kind of going through his show files and he was putting smart through every channel. And he said, you know, you had a little bit on this plugin, a little bit on this plugin. He goes, when you see that final transfer function of what the responses of this whole plugin chain, what that's doing to your signal, you may not realize how this stuff accumulates. And so, you know, it, I love this idea of, well, do you really know what that snare drum sounds like without the 19 things that you're doing to it? You know, what does that actual drum sound like? A lot of people, I think, get in the habit of not really listening to their inputs, you know, and I think you got to kind of start there. Or, or grab an EQ before you move the mic. Yeah, yeah. So what do you or do, Chris? What do you do? Right, that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, 
<laughs> what do you do, Chris? Okay, I got one. What about vocals? What do you use? What do you do with the uh, the plosives? Like, are you adverse to using like a multiband comp, or what do you do? Is, is same rules, or is there anywhere where the rules are thrown out? Uh, similar rules. No multi. Uh, no uh, parallel compression on the vocals, but uh, high pass only. About two fifty. Pick a good mic. Mm-hmm. Listen. Yeah. And see, that would be, so there's, I'm just going to jump in real quick. There's like a a small where I'm like, aha, because like I hear that, like I'll have my high pass lower, but then I always have, I always seem to have a parametric somewhere right wherever that slope begins. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's because of the inherent bump there. I mean, I, I do know that's why, but I don't aim for it. But if I spin it without looking, I always end up there to kind of, and another way to get around that would just be to take the high pass higher, which is what you do. You know what I mean? But I rarely right. go that high on vocals with a high pass. So that's interesting. I mean, I get it. I see how with your approach, you would have to do that. Otherwise you would end up with this woofy thing, um, a vocal, yep. I would assume. Yep. Uh, when I first came on, they were using, um, Audix VX10 vocal mics. I remember that mic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, not quite as good <laughs> as their dynamic series. Funny. Uh, that was one of the first things I changed. Uh, we went over to Sure KSM9, stuck with those for quite a while. Uh, and then Earthworks sent me some of their SR40s. That was a huge game changer. And the, the new 314 is, is even better still. Um, mm-hmm. Plosives don't exist anymore. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know what they've done. I don't understand how. Like, I, I'm a big Earthworks proponent. I um, I have the SR77s. Is that the black and blue ones? Right? Does that sound familiar? Yep. I had those. I used those as overheads for years, and I used to use the. I think this is right. The DPC30s on toms. Um, uh, correct. DP30C. Drum. Yeah. Okay. That. Thirty cardio. Yep. I loved them, and then they all got stolen at a Lady Gaga gig when we were oh, doing. Yeah, it was really super <laughs> bizarre, and I never backtracked to get them. I didn't have them insured. I was an idiot, but um, I love. Of course, the now the only thing I always use some Earthworks is just uh, for tuning. Um, why did I just space on the M thirty? Um, so, but I don't know what they do where proximity effect is minimized like it is. It's not like they've just done something different. Um, and I give them all the credit in the world for pulling it off. When, when, and now the flip side of that is sometimes I like proximity. Like I'm using that mic on purpose for its proximity effect, but they're really good about, it's just not as pronounced. I don't know how they do that. Uh, physics. Um, you cannot cheat <laughs> on that. It, it has to be a very good design of the capsule and the mm-hmm. ports behind the capsule. Everything has to be time aligned. Nothing can move, so you can't use plastic you can't use pressed metal so it's got to be machine mm-hmm. stuff um it, it, it's like you know race cars there is no substitute for displacement um mm-hmm. and when it comes to microphones there's no, no substitute for very good machining and tight tolerances you know that's what made neumann neumann that's what made dpa dpa and uh, earthworks is is doing the same thing uh, when you mm-hmm. compare them to other manufacturers condenser mics in the same price range the build quality is vastly different mm-hmm. yeah 15, I, you know what 15 year warranty 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> that I, the problem I have found, and I don't know that I would call Earthworks a boutique company. They're not, but you kind of know what I mean. They're not. It's not sure. It's not AT. It's not Sennheiser. It's not you know one of one of those. That's something I have struggled with uh, in using various forms of microphones. And again, oftentimes specifically because they're colored in different ways. A lot of times with the smaller manufacturers, I struggle with QC stuff, you know, where just straight quality control where we'll, in fact, one of my favorite capsules on the market right now for wireless mics, I hate wireless mics by the way, but one of the capsules that I use primarily on vocals, uh, and I won't say which one this is, we pulled out four brand new ones the other day. Two of them were similar to one another, clearly related, yet not the same. The third had a striking resemblance to those other two, and the fourth was just completely shot out of the box. And I've found that a lot with some of the smaller manufacturers. And uh, to your point, I've noticed with Earthworks, that's not the, like they have always seem to be um, just on the yeah, quality control level. Um, my first 12 Earthworks mics I purchased myself. So... Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's something can be said for standing behind a company, but you know, I was a uh, an in the trenches guy that did not have a resume worthy of them giving me anything. So you know, when I had an issue and called them up, and they really bent over backwards to to help me out, I I was really impressed with that. Um, the engineering, you know, coming from um, the founder David Blackmer of DBX, you know, he brought. Mm-hmm engineering into it as the first thing that is the company's mantra uh, and it has followed through this day and the fact that they're made in new hampshire helps a lot um you're you're not building something in the shipping it across the ocean and losing all commitment to quality associated with it right right i mean i think this whole thing just speaks to and i'm sure for you guys doing this signal to noise thing all the time it must be i would hope that it's a recurring theme to you know know your tools uh, to know what, I mean, surely to guide the people harp on that. And that's something I know that, you know, myself and Pooch now sitting around just yapping all the time. Um, only now we're recording, but that is a recurring theme with us too, is like, just know your tools. And I think Chris Mitchell, what you're doing is this is like a shining example of that, you know, um, to just know, I mean, so kudos, man. I mean, it's killer. It's obvious that you're not just throwing it up there. Because, again, I've seen guys over the years are like, I don't put any EQ on my guitar. And it's like, yeah, but it's like a 57 shoved up against the edge of the dusk. Like, that's so woofy. <laughs> that is absolutely colored. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and, uh, and I think, it, yeah, right? And so I think the, the thing is this is an example of someone like knowing – intimately knowing their tools and then getting good results. I, I think it's killer, man. I, I really, really do. I, I think it's awesome. I don't know. It could, it could it work for me a hundred percent. Um, but I'm too far down a path. I'm down now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, I, mean, I, mean, I, I imagine a lot of it has to do again, we already spoke to this, but like the relationship, like, you know, yes. and the style of music and, 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 and the look, right. So I, I imagine maybe that, you know, Chris Mitchell maybe has a little more uh, liberty to uh, with placement and type of microphones, um, given the, that way his band cares about how they're being portrayed versus maybe some pop bands who, you know, have a certain look or a certain persona and, and there's not as much forgiveness and there's TV and this, that, and the other. So I think there's a dynamic there that might has to be balanced mm-hmm. uh, on what, what you can and can't get away with. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about the, the, the a lot of the bands that Kyle's worked with. You know, where I mean, that, the, oh, he tells all the time. Goes. He's like, you got kids up on stage kicking shit over. Right. You know what I mean? And so, so oh, yeah. Kyle for Kyle, a good day was like, hey, they didn't kick over the mic today. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Mike, a one mic, one mic always got kicked over. Right. There yeah. hasn't been one show that mics haven't got kicked over. <laughs> That's amazing. I, mean, I got a horrible That's show. Much, we missed all the mics. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's why like on uh, on on nails, um, uh, Reznor has like five or six different fifty eights, and there's actually a guy sitting down front who switches between which microphone is live at the time because as he throws them out and, and kicks them across the stage, we gotta go to the next one and, and switch input. So that's yeah, it's a slightly different style of mixing there. He he also gets shipments of mic stands, and yeah. um, he also gets shipments of guitars that he breaks all the time. So yeah, like. We had that had all my mic stands that were going to get broken every night. Like uh, Atlas actually gave us a deal on a cheap mic stand. If we bought all their good ones, they'd keep sending out all the ones for him to break. So, yeah, dude. And and that's knowing your tools too. You guys laugh at me, but that that's that's knowing your tools. Like, hey, if your dude's going to do that every single fucking night, send me twelve of them, please. And and it helps out in the long run. Like, um. And and I, I did a lot of metal shows in small clubs. I mean, I was even in, you know, Mitchell's small club with metal bands too. Like it's a different thing. You 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 know your tool in that situation as well. Like um that was one thing I kind of prided myself on was going into small crappy clubs with horrible PAs and making them sound great for the band that I was with, you know. Um so it's even even in that short amount of time where you're like uh 57 or this thing that doesn't really have a name on it yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's all fine and good that, you know, people are sending you all kinds of shit that you can never afford to pay for on your own. But at the end of the day, like, you got to know how to use everything. Yeah. Uh, I got to put this back together with duct tape and spit. Like, mm-hmm. I've done it. I had to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Knowing your tools and knowing the realities of the gig. You yeah, know? man. Again, shit's going to get broken or things or, or, you know, or I have this wonderful conversation every day with the player and I choose what, you know, there's just so many different ways that this, <laughs> that this thing looks, you know? Um, yeah, that's good stuff, man. So wait, I got one last, I got one more thing. I got to keep asking. We got, we got time. We're good. Keep going. Chris, <laughs> well, I got you here. Well, and I, and I feel like I know the answers to all of to what you're going to say, just kind of catching your vibe, which was exactly what I thought it was. But um, is there any, what about on the output on the very, very end? Not really so much as like dynamics, but is there, do you color anything in any way? I'm guessing the answer is no. Same thing on with my the left, right bus? Are you, yes. Yep. Correct. I'm coloring nothing. Yeah. Um, so that's basically right the general <laughs> philosophy. It's just, that's, that's it. And that's it. Yep. In fact, they're taped in place. Yeah, um, they are. He, that's he actually has gaff tape holding his master fader. Oh yeah, no my yeah. my and that I'll agree with you wholeheartedly. I my master fader has never left zero since I learned how to mix. Unless that was like the output, except for back in the day when that was the output for the PA. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, that's that's the law. That thing should never. I, I I'm a firm believer in that. That thing. Again, there's no rules. However, for <laughs> me, that thing never moves. Well, I'm sure you've been through the same on your end as they want to record every show. So Yes, and that's the whole point. 
yeah. the, the quality of the recording is much more important than the quality of the show at that point. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's the same reason that we don't put corrective system EQ on that stereo bus, you know? <laughs> um, Amen. Amen yeah. to that. Yeah. I've right. got, there's a number of, uh, so Chris and I do have some commonality in the, in the jam band thing and that, which I miss all the damn time. But, um, the, the like widespread panic went and released like some old stuff, some just two track, you know, board mixes that we did. And I'd see them be released. And I'd be like, Oh, that's when I had like a Clark 360 across the stereo bus. And it's like, <laughs> Oh, that thing was a mess. I know it was, you know, but it's like, ah, who cares? But, um, take a picture and do the inverse of it, you know? It'll work. <laughs> I, I, and I've thought about that because I'll remember, I'll be like, okay, what were we using in 2001? All right, that was this. What was I always cutting? I've thought about it. And then I thought, nah, you know what? Just let it go. It's fine. I mean, you, you, Chris Mitchell's got sort of like the, the ultimate version of that. They cut his board mixes to vinyl and put those out. Ah, I mean, that, does it get any cooler than that, man? I don't think so. That's super dope. Yeah, we never did that. We released our stuff every night, which I don't know about you, Chris, but to me it was one of the greatest things to ever happen because it, not that I wasn't already motivated, but it ch really challenges you and pushes you to stay on your toes to know that that stuff's getting, getting put out oh, there yeah. every night. Uh, from day one uh, with Umphreys, my uh, recordings were being released because the previous front of house engineer had gotten into the habit of, you know, doing the Nugs thing and selling them after the show. Actually, it was before Nugs, but... Um, and then when he handed it off to me, we had moved from CDRs to uh, downloads from our own site. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, pretty much right out of the gate, people were expecting to buy my mixes, and they sound good. <laughs> Woo. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That is a lot That's, of motivation. That is. Um, who was it? We were doing... So I was talking to... Well, again, I keep referencing him just because we're talking all the damn time. But Pooch and I were talking the other day, and he was talking about this band that he's mixing now. And how people come to the shows, and it's, they're not just fans of the band, but they have, like, someone within the band that they're a fan of. And I used to love that, too, about the jam band thing, where it's like, it was rare that I would duck someone. Like, everyone counts. It's almost like people in that scene and in a lot of scenes, they have their favorite characters, you know? <laughs> And yep. you need to, and that's a challenge. You know what I'm saying? That's a challenge to keep an active mix, which things are become emphasized within the mix, yet nothing gets lost. Um, mm. And that's a thing that's and with rabid fan bases like that, uh, you really got to stay on your toes with. So I was uh, getting high with Catch Secor from Old Crow, Crow Medicine Show one time, and he <laughs> wanted me to describe what I wanted his mix to be, you know, what I was shooting for when I was mixing the band. Uh -huh. And the, the one thing we kept coming back to was stew. I want it to be mm -hmm. like a big pot of stew. And when you look down at it, every ingredient peaks right. for just a second. And you know it's all there. And it's all going to be coming back around. And there's a rhythm and there's a push and a pull. And you can see it melding and moving. And I explained to him that's what I was shooting for in the mix. <clears throat> Yeah, he didn't get that. That's excellent. He did not get it. Nope. Ah, uh, that's funny. <laughs> I, he was I in the use bluegrass of, phase. Right. Man, that's so cool. I use a lot of visual references when, uh, when I'm talking about audio. And sometimes I'll describe an input and I'll, and I'll be like, well, if you do X, Y, or Z, or if you, you know, if you use this, it just helps you see it better in the mix. Like a lot of times I'll shift and use visual references to explain things on an audible level, you know? 
Um, so I, I totally get that. Yeah, that's good. The stew thing. That's a good one. How about oh Chris? Chris, you got to tell him tell tell Chris Rabel about your your snow cones program. That'll just that's the coolest thing ever. Chris Rabel, this is gonna be right up your alley, man. Um, hit oh, me. Um, yeah. So we have uh, a program they call headphones and snow cones. Snow cones are beer in a can, uh, and that program is uh, when you come to the show for a small fee, we will rent you. Um, a Sennheiser G3 belt pack and a pair of Audio-Technica ATM-40s. You get my mix delayed to the middle of the room. Amazing. Sent to that pack. And, you know, for usually about 50 milliseconds around front of house, you know, it times up nicely to the subs. And uh-huh. all the, the fans that are rabid fans will, you know, they'll grab the pack and they'll disappear in the corner. And they've got that perfect stereo mix and they're not, you know, elbowing the kids down front or, you know, having a, a bad place to stand versus a comfortable place to sit. Um, and we sell out of them almost every night. Uh, right now we're doing, I think, 40 packs. And it's, uh, it's an all-in-house thing. We uh, hand them out at merch, and the, the fans love it. When you get the, the pack, um, well, when you purchase the rental for the evening, it comes with a, a free download of that night's show, so there's no reason for anybody to plug in a recorder because you're already right. getting the board feed anyway. Right. Wow. It's a lot of fun, man. I got to tell you, because it's sort of, then you sort of go like, I'm at my own concert. You know what I mean? Like everybody kind of disappears and it's just, you get to just sit there and it's totally immersed. I mean, all this talk about immersive this and that, this, you can't top this, man. This, the show is in your head. It's awesome. <laughs> I would much prefer for people to have cans on listening to what I'm doing than the, my mix as it's funneled through some you know, concrete cave in route to their head. Um, well, ice, ice hockey rinks aren't made for rock. <laughs> yeah, I love I love that idea. In fact, I'll go. I don't listen to as many. I used to listen to my board mixes like a lot. You know, it's a it's a tool. Speaking of tools, to learn from, and I don't do it quite as much anymore. I'm trying to get back on that train, but um, part of the thing that's good about listening back to your mix, particularly if you've had a rough night, is just to go back and be like, oh, no, I don't suck. You know, like it really was. It really was just the room, you know. Um, do uh, do either of you um, uh, monitor or track SPL through the night? I do. Yes. Now, uh, But do you do it uh, on a timeline basis? Are you just yeah. watching a number? What? what do you, how do you? And then um, – do you have a target? How, are you comparing night to night and how things change? What, what are you doing with that data? Mm. For me, it's a. I think I usually set it up as set it up as a ten minute average. I think that's what mine's usually set to. And um, you know, I know I like. Here's the thing: in an arena, I'd like to tell you one hundred two. One hundred two is like the respectable. I drive fast, but not too fast. I'm not a total asshole kind of thing. Um, <laughs> I, in arenas, a lot of times end up at 103, if I'm honest. That's my average. I wish it was 102, but a lot of times 103. But if you get me outside... And, and sud- that's, that's your 10-minute average? That's the 10-minute average. Yeah. Yep. So if you get me outside where... You, okay, you're never going to get up and over the room. That whole notion of I'm going to turn it up and I'm going to beat the room. That's, that's an impossibility. That's not the way mm-hmm. the, you know, the reverberant field stays what it is. That literal ratio is, sta- is static, but I will still fall prey to in a, in a 
kind of noisier environment, like I'll push it just a little just to make me think I'm getting it a little more in your face. I'm not, I know that yet. I will still do it because I'm, I'm human, you know? But so when you get me outside, suddenly I'm a lot more apt to run at 100, 101 when, when there's less and less reflection. So I can just say for me, and that's, that, that just keeps me honest. It lets me know that my show is consistent. It also, just because if you, you know, if you studied hearing curves, Fletcher Munson type stuff at all, you realize if you keep your mix within a pretty consistent window, SPL wise, tonally, you're not going to be making as many changes on a night to night basis. So uh, that's what I do. Um, yeah. Yes. Do you watch that stuff, Chris, or do you just feel it? Uh, I do watch it. Um, having done bluegrass shows for years, um, it's one of those things that y- you almost have to keep your eye on it because at a bluegrass show, you, you uh, exceed a certain threshold and they'll turn violent on you. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm, I'm in the, the same general area. I do uh, a slow, a one-minute, and a five-minute, um, and I have two columns. I, I look at uh, A and C. Um, sometimes it helps other times. It just, I'll, I'll pay attention to just the A because you know, the, the C varies so much from where you're staying in the venue. Are you close to the subs or close to a wall where it's a boundary, stuff like that. Um, I try to also stay around 102. Um, I find that I'm a, a bit more dynamic. Um, I will, you know, since my band does sometimes 10 minute songs, Sometimes forty-five minute songs. Uh, you remember what that was like, Chris? <laughs> I do. Uh, <laughs> oh, the dynamic, I? the dynamic will float. Um, on an average, one hundred one, one hundred two. Um, but you know, if it's a night where they play a bunch of metal songs, one hundred three, one hundred four. Right. Um, and yes, the tonality uh, of the Fletcher Munchin curve is huge. Um, I have, I kind of got a thing if, uh, you know, I set an EQ curve for. 101 and then during the show the crowd is just stupid loud and i have to get up over it instead of using volume to exceed that i'll use um small pushes in areas where that fletcher munson curve is so dynamic like you know 2.5 and up to 4k um usually just a little boost a really wide boost in that area will make a 102 db mix sound like a 104 db mix but the overall energy isn't changing that much. You're just finding that that human sweet spot that our ears are a little bit more sensitive to. So yep. I, I try to play those games from time to time. And then, you know, other times they'll do maiden covers and next thing I know I'm at 105. Right, <laughs> right. Yes. You know, and there's – it's funny. This whole thing started – because of, uh, of course, of them, them mentioning you, me being like, oh, I dig what that guy's doing. We should talk. And then here we are talking about not using EQ, this and that. And you mentioned doing that on a system level where you're just increasing frequency a tiny bit to sort of play into where we've ended up genetically with our hearing. And I've started doing that because I will use the shit out of an EQ on an input. Um, I have gotten more into, as of late wondering, do I really need more gain? In other words, do I need more fader on that input? Or do I just need to find a space in the spectrum to boost? Mm. So 
you know, I'll go and like, especially when I get these really busy mixes, like I've started going to places on EQs I've never gone before. Like on pianos, I've started boosting at like 1K because I don't, you know, or just, you know, these weird places that you don't really think about ever boosting. Maybe you guys do go to 1K. That's not a place where traditionally I've, I've gone to. Or in bass guitars, I might go to 540 hertz or something weird because I don't need 3 dB of gain on that thing to make mm. it heard. I just need to find a hole where it can stick out a little bit, you know? And that A is a little bit more, to me, is kind of a musical approach. But B, it's also a very safe approach because it keeps you from getting too loud gain-wise of just pushing, 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 you know? So, um, yeah, I, I get what you're saying as far as using that on, on, a sis, on the system end to have a perceived loudness. And Mitchell, is that, is that something, are you physically doing that or do you, you tell your system tech to do that or how does that, how does that go down? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like the way you assumed I had a system tech. Oh, just, <laughs> <laughs> oh you mean that guy? You mean me? <laughs> Hold on, let me get him for you. Why, yes, yes, I do that for him. And when I do, he loves it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, That's funny. Chris, do you know what, though, bud? I, I ha I'll have a systems tech most of the time. Not all the time. Not, not all the time. Um, but I still do all my own stuff, too. It's just, you know, you know what you want. You know what I mean? Right, right. Like, do I want to spend an hour explaining it to you or 10 minutes doing it? Right. It's just, it's easier to just do it yourself. You know, it really is. And also, I, mm. I found that, well, I feel that if you don't set up your own show, your own system, the interface, stuff like that, then if something goes wrong, you can't fix it. Mm -hmm. Your hands are tied, depending on the person that knows what's going on, to fix it. So mm -hmm. you know, within a certain reason, uh, I like to be you know, as, as involved as I can be, I'm not going to grab a pickle and move a motor, but you know, I, I want to know how it's routed. I want to know, you know, what EQs are going where, um, I try not to be, you know, the kind of mix engineer that will just beat up a systems engineer and, you know, of course. Yeah. Nobody wants that. Uh, right. You, you got to find a balance between, you know, what the system's capable of, what the tech is capable of and what the budget will allow. Mm -hmm. for me it's yeah. always the budget <laughs> yeah no, that's true that's true Kyle's just smiling into his webcam over here you got something to say Kyle what are you doing <laughs> no there's just more Taco Bell upstairs <laughs> how does one buy $34 worth of Taco Bell that's impressive that's impressive well, gentlemen, thank you for your time. This is it was just uh it's a real treat to just kind of hear you guys chat and and uh you know, kind of feel out your different methods and and throw some ideas around us. Really cool. So thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for being with us. It's really really fun. My pleasure. Yeah, man. This was a blast. Thanks for putting I, I, this I together. Th I, I think you I think you guys should swap virtual soundcheck files and mix each other's show and see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. I'm down. Cool. Yeah, man. There you go. See? It's a date. There it is. The Chris Deathmatch <laughs> yes. moniker has been offered. There it is. Deathmatch. Love it. So uh, when is somebody right. going to step up and do, like, the Roadie Olympics? 
Right. Oh, I've been joking about that for years, man. How you know how you got how fast can you tie this drop up and all that stuff? I think that'd be hilarious. Yeah. Right. You, you're you're led into a club. The band is loading on stage, and the you know doors are in half an hour. Make it happen. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Getting pulling the feeder like a relay feeder pole, like that type of stuff, right? Right. 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 <laughs> okay. Here's the console. Nothing's labeled. They're playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go for it. <laughs>